Welcome and thank you for tuning in to this conversation about mindful leadership and why it matters to construction and in construction. I'm Sean Brogart, the CEO here at Track Unit, and I'm a genuine believer that when we come together, we can do the impossible and eliminate downtime. Construction is an industry of smart, hardworking people with a desire to truly drive change, to help bring and drive the agenda for a more productive, more human, a more sustainable construction industry. We have over the last three years started and worked on the Eliminate Downtime movement. We gather insights and knowledge from thought leaders and experts on how might we solve downtime and share with the wider industry in blog posts and white papers, events, newsletters. And I'm delighted to be welcoming Michael Bonting to the talk today. Michael is the founder of the Mindful Leader, and I couldn't really think of anyone better in this first series to broaden and launch a conversation around leadership. So Michael, welcome to the talk. Soren, great to be with you. Thank you so much. We are on a tight schedule and I want to dive directly into this to our listeners. Uh, tell me briefly about yourself, please. I have been fascinated in the, the, the mind and the emotional world and what makes humans tick. And I suppose if you look at the research on, on happiness, one of the 12 year studies that turns out that 90% of our happiness depends on how we think or how we use our minds and 10% about what's going on outside of us. And that 90% has been my life's fascination. And that's transitioned into working with large, medium to large organizations all around the world on helping leaders uh, lead in a way that's constructive, supports mental health, creates great performance and aligned cultures. So the culture becomes a true asset to the business. Excellent. And, and help us uh put a dot on a map here. You sound like you are from down under. <laughs> My accent is actually South African. I've lived in Australia for 20 something years. I lived in Europe for a while as well and worked there in the same field. But yeah, I grew up in South Africa. That's the accent you're hearing. But I'm, I'm speaking to you from Sydney, Australia today. Very good. Excellent. Let's dive in. Um, what does uh, downtime mean to you? So I think it, it, it aligns, I mean, apart from rest, which is obviously really significant, but if we look at it from, from a, how you've introduced this talk or this episode around eliminating downtime, we've done a fascinating study in our work where we've surveyed about 5,000 people in multiple industries, and we've asked them, what percentage of time in your organization is wasted, time and energy is wasted through people covering up mistakes, not having the honest conversations, being political, um, you know, overdoing internal presentations and so forth, and broadly called image management as a term. And, and people have, on average, reported that 40% of their time and energy in their organizations is wasted on all of this second job, if you will, uh, called image management. And if there, were, if there were not a better definition of downtime in an organization, I can't think of it than that, because it's completely and utterly wasted energy and time, but also has a detrimental impact on people's mental health. And at its core, at its absolute core, it's a difference between the values on the wall or the website and the reality of the behaviors that we see 
in the workplace. And I'll give you a really simple example. Today, we had a client tell us, how can we get a stronger feedback culture? It's a client who is deeply, deeply um, aligned with their purpose. They want to make uh, cancer drugs more uh, available to normal people. So it's a very noble purpose. And yet they have a highly avoidant, don't tell the truth culture to each other, be nice. And that causes an enormous amount of inefficiency in this noble purpose. That would be downtime to us. Quite fascinating. The 40% uh, spend on image management, is that across industries and regions yeah. of this world? Yes, we've been, we've been, we've gone from you know, Asia, the Europe, US, uh, across different industries, including related industries to the construction industry. Uh, we have, a, a, we do a lot of work with the construction, with first tier engineering organizations, civil engineering, and also the mining industry as well. But the big heavy machinery side of, mm. you know, not the, not the deep shaft mining, the open pit. So needless to say that there is a, quite a big problem to be solved out there in across industries and across the world. Yes. That, that waste. I mean, one of, one of your uh, ideas and, 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 uh, and hypotheses also uh, that comes forward in your book is the uh, aspect of a mindful leader and how mindfulness is, can be a driver to eliminate some of this waste or downtime in organizations. How is how is how is that how is mindful leadership you know comparable to leadership development uh, that you know I I'm just throwing out a number here a thousand books at least maybe a hundred thousand books on self development and leadership development how is mindful leadership different and what is it Yeah so a lot of people who've heard of the term mindful leadership would have heard it in the context of uh, people teaching meditation for leaders which is not what we do we're much more interested in the consciousness of a disciplined leadership practice. And what I mean by the consciousness of it is what we we ask leaders always a really simple question when we meet them. What's the talk that you're trying to walk? So do leaders need to walk the talk? Yes. What's the talk you're trying to walk? Maybe one in 1,000 leaders we meet can answer that question. And what it, dis, what it gives away is that there's not a consciousness or a deliberateness around how that leader is showing up on a daily basis. They are operational focused, strategic focused, get the job done focused but not very aware of how their behavior is impacting uh, efficiencies and so forth. And, we, and there's a range of different behaviors from conflict avoidance. And, um, actually, let me just pause here, given we tight time. I'll give you a real example. One of our, uh, our people in our case studies in our book um, highlighted, he said, I thought I made decisions rationally. Mm. I prided myself on rational decisions. Then he did some mindful leadership work and he began to discover that he had a cycle of avoiding difficult conversations. Then eventually he would lose his temper and come down hard on the person who got a surprise because they hadn't got any tough feedback. Then they would be disengaged. The performance would reduce. He'd get cool and rational again. Eventually you have another tough. And he was in this quite destructive cycle. What he began to realize as a result of mindful leadership work that his emotional avoidance, avoiding the discomfort of the difficult conversation in real time created a whole pattern of dysfunctional behavior that was having a huge impact on the performance of his business. And that's an example of when we look at mindful leadership, we're trying to look at the underlying patterns that are driving us, and to use your terminology, driving us towards more downtime. And then invariably we feel like a victim 
So when we've got this, why can't these people just perform more like this? Why can't this be more like that? And we don't perceive or, or we're not aware of our part in the problem. And therefore, we don't mm. consider that we and our behavior is part of the solution to the problem. And mindful leadership is it's a disciplined set of leadership practices, heavily researched based off the world's most researched leadership model. But it's got this quality of self-examination, self-awareness uh, and looking beneath the covers to understand what's really going on to create real change. And we would argue that any organization, the real, the real money on the table is your culture. You'll be shocked at how much money you're wasting and how much effort and time you're wasting because of conflict avoidance, lack of clarity, lack of direct conversations, lack of appreciation, and so forth. They're all invisible. And then they become like, oh, well, that's just the way things are here. So this uh, increased awareness uh, about your own attitude, your own way of dealing with challenges and this uh, leaning into compassion on uh, not only saying what people want to hear, but really having real talks about what is really uh, going on continuously and not just one or two or three times a year. I really subscribe to that. And I, I think it's, uh, it's also very hard to do. Um, so help me, uh, help me on the journey of the sort of the maturity and what it takes to become a mindful leader if you want to start today. So the first piece of advice I would give people is to be, if you're in a leadership position, become aware of your polarity. So each person, what we've, we've worked with thousands of leaders around all cultures around the world, and we found that there's a consistency uh, where the great leaders are balanced. And what they balanced around is being driven on tasks, creating accountability and high performance. And they're also really good with respect and kindness and compassion. They're great. They've got a warm heart. You know, I think the one, I can't remember the exact term, but it's having the drive of a Viking, drive of a Viking and a mother's heart, something like that. <laughs> it's like, you know, um, where you've got to be tough and really warm and kind. And I've never met a leader in my career who had those two qualities naturally in them. So I think mm -hmm. the first question for anyone wanting to be a great leader is this, am I more focused on tasks? Am I not afraid to have the tough conversations and address performance issues. If I'm really good at that, there's a very likely chance I need to really develop more of the warmth and the, and the, and the and compassion. And, and then they'll feel at odds because if I'm being warm and compassionate, maybe I'm not driving performance enough. Equally, if you're someone who has a natural disposition to being warm and connected and you're really good with relationships, there's a very good chance you, you've, you're avoidant and you're not having enough time to compensate, you're not driving performance enough. And that's a terrifying journey to do that because you think nobody will like you anymore. And so if I quote you some data, this is 103,000 leaders more or less were studied on this. They asked people, are, how engaged are you at work, right? Which is a high, uh, a very important marker for long-term performance. And 6.7% of people say they're highly engaged at work who have a boss that over-indexes on tough right? The tough drivenness. Mm. Sorry, sorry. 6.7% apologies is on the nice. 8.9% mm. 8. Uh, um, 8 of people say they're highly engaged for bosses who are tough. So interestingly mm. enough, people are more engaged with a tough boss than a nice boss, which is quite mm. uh, counterintuitive. But people who said that they had a boss who was both tough and nice, 68% of people reported they were fully engaged at work. You can just see the leap. Mm. So as a very beginning, that's, that's where we would say is the beginning point 
of great leadership, looking at that balance point. And then the second uh, step would be defining a set of principles or values, what we call sometimes your leadership promise. So what is your promise to yourself and to your direct reports on how you're going to lead them, the principles that you're going to lead them and be, be held accountable? What that creates is trust and that creates influence and inspiration. And when that's clear, and you know, people are 66% more trusting of a leader, this is Zing, uh, uh, Kuzis Symposium's research, uh, of a leader, they know what they stand for and there's a degree of consistency of what they stand for, but those leaders are quite rare. Mindfulness comes in as the method to make sure the self-awareness part of it, to actually start to get honest with yourself and know when you're you know, not in alignment with your promise. You know, they, mm. The promises use a simple thing, for me, my two promises are honesty and kindness as a leader. And, uh, you know, honesty is tough to do, both sharing vulnerably when I make mistakes or I don't know the answer, and also having the direct tough conversation with my team members at all times, being able to invite them to give me tough feedback, that whole honesty value. And then kindness is also pretty difficult to do because actually being honest and kind at the same time, not so easy. But there's like, that's the leadership promise. And then how do I know when I'm being dishonest? How do I know when I'm being unkind? And how do I regulate myself back so that I don't lose my credibility, which unfortunately most leaders end up losing at one point or another. And that's where the mindfulness training comes in. And the first marker of that's the body. So the body, we, we have the saying in mindfulness practice, the body always tells the truth and the mind yeah. lies relentlessly. So when we are not being honest, every one of us, we have what's called reasonable reasons. We have a range of stories in our mind. You know, oh, it's not the right time. And you want to disengage that person and can't handle it. And, you know, if you just leave it for a couple of days, it'll probably course correct. There's a range of reasons. But if we pay attention to the body, the body has this nauseous, sick feeling when we're out of whack with our values. That's the truth, not the story of excuses. Mm, and mm. So, so mindfulness at its core is this deep commitment to truthfulness, honesty with ourselves, but using a more sophisticated tool than the lying mind to know. And we often ask mm. people at the end of a day, when you've been aligned with your values, how does the body feel? Mm. At the end of the day, when you've been misaligned with your values, you've been avoiding conversations or you've been unkind in my case, how does the body feel? And there's a very definite effect in the body after that and that it sounds simple but it's quite sophisticated actually one of the things that i that, that i really like about your work is that you're very uh, generous with uh, program information uh, how to get started guides and so forth so just just high level if you, if you get excited and motivated by by your fascinating statistics and approaches here where would one go to sort of start uh, educating himself or herself. <laughs> well, that's it's going to sound like cheesy, but it's our, our two books, right? The Mindful Leader is a book. The Mindful Leader is a, is a well, it's, it's done pretty well. So it's, it, we've spent a lot of time writing it in a friendly, warm, easy way. And it case studies multiple leaders around the world and how they practice seven different disciplines of leadership and the outcomes. Mm -hmm. And then the latest book, Vertical Growth, is a, a, a that answers the essential questions of what does it take to actually grow and evolve as a human being? Are there some common factors? What are they? How do you know? 
how do you cultivate them and how do you grow as an adult? And it's the whole field of adult growth and mature. And that maturity then results in being able to cope with much more complexity, uh, to heal our relationships that are not working in our lives, uh, to take accountability and have a deeper sense of agency in our lives and to cultivate a much happier mind, mm. you know, much more peace, happier mind. That's what vertical growth is about. And we in the context of organizational development and culture and leadership. You also have quite an online library of uh, an app, right? For people to get going. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's on the pure mindfulness work. Uh, the mind, uh, it's awakened mind. And, and it's, I suppose, I know we've got short time, but I'll just try and describe two different approaches to mindfulness. Mm -hmm. so, so if people know, have heard of mindfulness, the word itself means, technically means to be continuously in the present moment. So that means continuously in the present moment with your work, with your food, with your children, Uh, it also means continuously in the present with yourself, like being aware of what's going on internally, what's going on emotionally, what's going on in the mind, what's going on in the body. And it's the discipline around being pr deeply present. And in that presence comes deep learning. Some, some uh, mindfulness teachers say, how do you know how old someone is? It's the amount of time they've been in the present. So if they could be 70, but realistically one year old, actually not that so mature. Um, and then, and then, Within that, there is the goal of mindfulness as a well-being exercise to calm the mind. And that's called calming or concentration practice, where the, the desire is to still the mind and replenish. Very helpful. It's not. It, it's the beginning of how we teach it. What we're more interested in is the developmental mindfulness, where you learn to track uh, uh, and, and embrace and understand all the difficult feelings, all the, the, the deep assumptions that are driving your life and that are not supporting you or that are pushing you into downtime. And another version of downtime that most people could relate to is if you're in a relationship like a marriage and you have difficult days, you have arguments that don't resolve, and then you can go through a weekend, you know, in misery with each other or weeks in misery. I would call that marriage downtime, you know, a relationship downtime and not fun. And, 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 How to resolve that, that requires the more mature investigative style of mindfulness where you can begin to learn more about your own patterns and take agency over them. Very thoughtful. Thanks for sharing that. We are four minutes from uh, wrapping this first episode up and I wanted to end with a concrete example of the impact that a mindful leadership Uh, both program or mindful leadership as a, as a general term creates in organization. I know that you have a, a special, um, you could say, experience from within construction yeah. that you would like to share with our industry. Yeah, it's very recent. I mean, we have multiple case studies, but two days ago, I think it was a three days ago, we were, one of our team in South America uh, is working with, and I won't mention the client, right? But a global mining organization that does open pit mining, right? So big, heavy machine, those giant trucks that you guys drive, yeah? people drive around in this industry. And, um, and that, that, that whole area of, of their business was actually losing money for the global organization. And we began a mindful leadership program in June uh, last year. And, uh, and there was a fair degree of cynicism around it, as you can often is in construction. We love working in construction because our work's very, pragmatic and tough and clear and logical and it's tied to performance and we we and, and we um we began a mindful leader program with their executive team 
and we looked at the core behaviors that were holding them back from their best. And we take them through our vertical growth process to genuinely change. And there were multiple examples where um, their behaviors were getting in the way, their defensive behaviors, their lack of curiosity, the lack of accountability, the lack of direct conversations, that the, 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 the exec team was suboptimal in its performance. It was not looking effectively at its problems. And there was a particular area of wastage, for example, excess waste in some of the areas that they just weren't addressing. The person in charge of that was defensive. And then all this work we did unlocked all of that defensiveness, brought it into Curios, more honest conversations, much better decision making, much better execution. And we had this wonderful call with the CEO three days ago where he, he kind of just casually told us, oh, by the way, that area is now in profit. They've gone from <laughs> loss to profit. In, uh, in, you know, was it, we, we hadn't known it until that moment. It was just such a lovely celebration moment. And, and, and that's just really gratifying because the work really improves people's personal lives dramatically. It mm. improves the quality of their work experience dramatically. Far more fun to go to work in a mindful organization. But, you know, it also happens to make a substantial difference to the bottom line by reducing downtime, unnecessary defensive downtime. Mm. Very well said. Were you measuring the uh, image management waste prior to the program or the engagement level prior? So we're not even finished this program. That's how fast yeah. it's working. Okay. Uh, we right. have we have measured that though in 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 come on a couple of our global clients, and yeah. we've measured it so far. At an average, it takes about six months to reduce it by a third. Mm. So a third is a substantial reduction in image management. So if you took the 40, take the forty percent, then you're getting probably around a thirteen percent increase in performance in in, in released energy in your business over six months. That's already phenomenal, just as that pure measurement. Very good. Hey, that's that's real impact, both to the bottom line and to people's lives. And uh, what else can you really wish for? Great example. And uh, thank you very much, Michael, for, for joining me here on the talk today. It's been a true pleasure uh, talking with you. I hope that our listeners will grab the online material and, and also uh, read your book. There's actually a lot of great content about you and the concept uh, online uh, as well. Thank you very much for joining the show today. Super. Thank you so much, Soren. And thank you for those of you who watched or listened. Mm -hmm.